0: Hello, and welcome back to the Fire and Fragrance Podcast. Today, we have one of our long term missionaries working in the Middle East sharing with the DTS on missions. Let's jump right in. Wow, good morning, everyone. It's such a treat to be here. In the Ohana court, I was ready to speak to 40 people, and whoever told me that, I'm not going to name any names, is Michael Craig, is a liar. He's a liar, but God will forgive him. I'm happy to be here. Uh, It's fun. I'm glad that Zane kind of showed who was in the room. DTS, it's wonderful. I just love DTS, love that you guys are here, was praying for you this morning, that you would come and give your lives uh, in this season of your life to the Lord, to know Him more. It's just amazing. I was very happy about that. Everyone else that's in the room, happy to be here with you. Can I just see, uh, if, if this is, it sounds really vain, but it helps me as I'm trying to organize my thoughts. How many people have heard me speak before? Okay, a few. We might, oh good. Okay, it's quarter to ten. We'll do a little bit of a break, and then you said until twelve. Is that right? Okay. I was going to move that crossover, because that was going to be a big part of my uh, talk today, but it's giant, and we don't need to move it, you can, we'll focus on that today. But in the meantime, I'll just share a little bit uh, by way of introduction, and then I'll jump in. So, uh, I'm from Washington State, that's where I grew up. Anybody? That's right. We've got some Washington State, the most socially awkward people you'll find in the room from that state, and uh, there are, actually, that's the whole accumulation. All the Christians in the state are here. That's a very very liberal place, so glad that you made it. That's where I grew up. I left when I was 20 years old, and uh, I've come from a little church that had a very strong emphasis on missions, and so I was from a youth group. There was about 10 of us, and uh, in in our 20s, at one point I counted, eight of us had become foreign missionaries, so it was not, uh, I can't say I had some like huge profound the archangel Gabriel came and spoke to me it was more of kind of our culture it was the culture of our church was this is what you do you become you go into missions so that was the context I came from I won't go into the whole story but ended up uh, finding out about why and then I did a DTS in the country of Jordan I have to say country of Jordan because we're in America and Americans always say who as they don't know it's a country it's also a guy you went to high school with but it's also a country and so uh, I did an, a DTS there. How many non-Americans are in the room? Yeah. Oh, a lot. That's wonderful. A lot of Europeans because they're so quiet. They're just like, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> uh, I did my DTS in Jordan. And while I was there, I had this dream. And I'm not one that uh, thinks all my dreams are prophetic. I don't I think most of my dreams are prophetic my subconscious. I think I had a dream about pizza, not because God is calling me to become a pizza cook, probably because I skipped dinner. So I, that's like what I come from. But I have this dream in my DTS that uh, I'll just tell it to you. In, in the dream, I was in this very specific place, in this very specific city. And this young man came up to me and he said, I've just learned about Jesus. In the dream, I knew he was a Muslim. He said, I've just learned about Jesus. Would you stay here and teach me about him? I couldn't have planned that better. (laughs) That was incredible. (laughs) It was the spirit of God, people. (laughs) He's going to move. I have that dream, and I wake up, and I immediately, you know, I think about Paul and his uh, Macedonian call. I think it's probably Acts chapter uh, 13, maybe. And you remember that dream? He's on his way to Rome, and he has this dream, and this young man says, come through Macedonia. So he reroutes his trip and goes to Macedonia. Well, I thought about that when I woke up from the dream. I said, okay, I wasn't planning to stay after my DTS in Jordan, but I felt like God was calling me to stay. Well, long story short, a few months after that, I happen to be in this specific place, in that specific city, and I meet this young man that literally says to me, I've just learned about Jesus. Would you teach me about it? This profound moment in my life uh, not, that doesn't happen to me on a regular basis. It was one of those, like, get your attention moments. And God then began to really speak to me about the Arab people and about his love for Arab Muslims in particular. Now Muslims are a lot of people in the world, about 2.24 billion people, makes about 25% of the global population. Of that, only one-fifth are Arabs. Okay, so just a little demographic lesson there. So, but God began to speak to me about Arabs. So I started learning Arabic and I stayed there for five years. Then I did some other things and uh, met my wife. She was here in Kona for a long time. And then I rescued her and... uh, and and we moved to the Middle East, and so we live in Dubai. We just uh, yes, some of you guys I saw that had we'd been on you have been on outreach with us. It was so fun, and uh, we just had our first son. We I had nothing to do with it. I was there in shock uh, for the birth, and my wife had the son. And well, we have a child now. He was born in May. I know I come to Kona, and people here are like love birth, and they're always talking to me about it. Yeah, it's great. It's like war. Um, It it was intense, but praise the Lord, he's here. Uh, So they stayed back in Dubai on this trip. I'm just here for a few days, and they invited me to come share this morning. So that's just a little bit about me by way of introduction. I want to now get out of that, and I want to talk to you about what's on my heart, which is just a straight-up Great Commission message. Are we all familiar with the Great Commission? If I say that term, you guys, someone shout out, what is the Great Commission? Not that familiar. Okay, let's start from the beginning. Uh, <laughs> great commission. It's in all the gospels. Starts in Gospel of Matthew, chapter twenty-eight. It says, "Go into all the world and make disciples." Wow. Yes. Then Mark goes in. And he says, "And baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit." Okay. Great. And then Luke. Remember, Luke also wrote Acts. So it's not in Acts. It's actually, in sorry, it's not in the Gospel of Luke. It's in the first chapter of Acts. And Luke says. He says, wait in Jerusalem, and I'll endow you with power, dunamis, and then go into Judea, Samaria, and all the earth. That was his great commission. He says, go into all the earth. And those are really what we think. It's in John chapter 20, verse 21. The story is, I just can't get over it. Is that your phone, Zane? Is that just, are you playing this? it's so great. I once, I just have to pause right now because this is a really great and ridiculous story I'm about to tell you. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about today. But years ago, I was invited to preach at this like, little Pentecostal conference on the west coast of the U.S. This is like 15 years ago. And I was the youth speaker. So I was speaking to all the youth. And, uh, and then there was this main speaker. And I won't tell you his name, but I'm really tempted right now, but I can't. Uh, but well, I'm going to give it away in a minute. Anyway, this guy was so dramatic. And he was like, he played this orchestral track behind him. And I remember he's like, it's like these crescendos. And at one point he leaps off of the stage. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is intense. Like two years later, I go back to that same church and I'm talking with the pastor's son. He goes, do you know who that guy was? I said, I remember his name was Keith. I said, I remember him. And he, uh, he goes, do you know who his daughter is? I said, no, I didn't. He wasn't with his family. Said, That's Katy Perry's dad. Yeah. and actually was. And I thought, and now everything makes sense. And so, uh, but I've. Always been tempted since then to, like, play, like, preach with, like, an orchestral track. So maybe we'll do that next time. Uh, Back to what I was saying about the Lord. (laughs) John says, chapter 20, verse 21, if you read the whole story, well, let's give it a go. Starting in verse 19, on the evening, this is after the resurrection, so Jesus has just appeared to Mary Magdalene and the disciples were at the empty tomb, and then he appears, it says on v- verse 19, chapter 20, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jew- Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Here's the Great Commission. So if you're an underliner or something, this is the part to underline. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And then it goes on to talk about Thomas. But this little part right here is what I want to focus on. As the Father sent me the translation I had memorized. Oh, God bless you. Thank you. There's no more lids? This is ridiculous. Oh, no, I'm just joking. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you. Give her a hand. Wow. <laughs> Serving a God. Serving of God. No lids. Other YYM bases have lids, but we'll give it up for this one. John's Great Commission is this. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. People, this is amazing. Turn to your neighbor and say, as the Father is sending me, so am I sending you. Say it two times. This is... Im- I want to focus on this um, this aspect of the Great Commission because it is easy to forget uh, how and how important this is. So let me back up by saying this. I've lived all my adult life in uh, countries that were former British colonies. And in those countries, Christianity came along with a political agenda. And so it came, uh, the church and politics, and I should say oppressive politics, came together. So the gospel came with this message of human oppression. But it was veiled in a Great Commission, because it looked like this make disciples, well, we have to teach them how to live better lives. Here in the Hawaiian Islands, that was the story uh, uh, often of the, the way that the gospel came here. It was intertwined with these distortions of what the Great Commission really was. And if we see the Great Commission only as this go and make disciples, go and baptize, then we can also begin to fill in our own agendas, whether they be personal or political or national, all those things. History is filled with these stories. But if we remember this Great Commission of John that I want to talk about today, as the Father sent me, so am I sending you, it's really hard to distort a message. How did Jesus... How was Jesus sent by the Father? Well, I just was thinking about this the other day. I wrote down just some things that came to my mind as I was, I was just reflecting. How did Jesus come? Well, first of all, he came poor. He came as a poor man. He, he was, there was no room in the inn. It's almost Christmas time. They had gone to Bethlehem. There was no room in the inn, and they laid him in a manger as a baby. Now, I'll just stop there and give a little idea about that, uh, because the English translations don't quite work, they don't give the same uh, there was no room in the inn, at that time in Palestine, it wasn't like they were hotels, Mary and Joseph weren't just looking for a Motel 6, but what happened was they would often build these rooms on the flat roofs of their houses for guests, and because it was the time of the census, everybody was there, and Joseph and Mary being the younger of the, all of the people that were coming into the town, they weren't given priority, so there was no guest rooms for them to stay, so think of it like that, no guest rooms. But at that time, in first century Palestine as well as in today, if you go to Palestine or parts of Israel with Bedouin communities, they'll, in the wintertime, bring their animals inside their dwelling. They'll have like a a, kind of an entrance room. And in in the warm months, months, they'll just use it for storage and things. But in the winter months, it's for the animals. And they'll build a little ledge so the animals can't get to where the humans live. And they'll dig out a little hole in the ground, in this ledge, where they'll keep the grain or the feed to keep it dry for the animals. And then when it's not wintertime, when the animal feed's not in there, when they bake the bread in the morning, they'll throw the bread into this little area. You could translate it to a bread basket, into this little area. And so when it gives this idea that they laid Jesus in a manger, it wasn't like the manger that we see in our church nativity sets. It was this idea of this area that was designated for food. So here you have Jesus as the father sends me so am i sending you Jesus sent as a poor man laid in the ground dug out from a, as a baby he was sent by the father without any power but from the beginning he was the bread of life laying in the bread basket As the father sends me so am i sending you he was poor without money with no place to live he was marginalized Born to a pregnant mother outside of wedlock. They had to get married before she gave a baby to save face in the community. Marginalized in that way. Marginalized as a refugee. He was a refugee. He went within two years of his birth, they fled to Egypt until he was probably around 10 or 11. So he's marginalized in society as a foreigner living in a foreign land. Presumably, his parents don't even speak the language of the land that he's growing up in for the first decade of his life. Then as he grows up, he's susceptible to temptation. Now he didn't sin, but Hebrews makes it clear he he was tempted in every way. So he's susceptible to temptation. uh, The enemy, the evil one comes to him in the desert when he's tired and alone and hungry and he tempts him. Of course, he overcomes temptation, but as the father sends me, so am I sending you. He's misunderstood mocked openly by his brothers. Think about it, I think it was in John chapter four, when they come to the door and and he says, and they say the brothers and his and it says his mother was even with him, so they had come to get Jesus. And Jesus said, Who are my mothers and my and who are my mothers and who are my brothers but those who obey the will of my father. He was misunderstood by his family. He had anxiety at times. It's a physiological response. Remember when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and blood is dripping as sweat from his brow? That's a physiological response. Actually, it's a true thing. You could look it up. I don't know anything about medicine, but I do know a thing about Google. (laughs) And it is actually something that happens in the human body in moments of stress and anxiety that that blood vessels can burst and, and out of your sweat pores can come blood. He was alone. Not even those closest to him stuck with him in the hardest times. Remember, he's also in the garden praying and his, what he thought were his closest friends fell asleep. He says, can you not wait with me an hour? It, in this way, Jesus says, is there like a school of orchestral music? Is that what this is? is that, I lo- it's what? It's crossroads. Oh. <laughs> Inappropriate. When you stop and you think about the way that Jesus was sent by the Father, and you think about the Great Commission, go into all the world, baptize, disciple, move in power, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you suddenly it should shift and address maybe how we think about the nature in which God is sending us. I I was up with jet lag uh, in the middle of the night and I just was trying to think oh I said oh Lord I need you to help me organize my thoughts because you could we could talk for days about the power of Jesus's incarnation and what that means for you and I, as we think about going into the world. uh, In a room like this, I know many of you are feeling that God has called you into foreign missions, and that's wonderful. Some of you, I think specifically, God's calling, uh, been speaking about the Muslim world, and that's awesome. That's not, uh, it's a little bit better than everybody else, but not a lot, it's, (laughs) no, that's not totally true. Estella, yes. (laughs) It was like a little high and then a little low. (laughs) If you feel God calling you to that, come join us tomorrow night. I'm going to, stop, I'm going to talk specifically about that. But, but this, I want, to, I want you to hear this in regard to your whole life. So not just, uh, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm, God's told, not told me to go to the mission field. This doesn't apply to me. I'm talking about anything you do in life. Anything that you do as a witness of Christ, as someone who professes belief in Jesus, living in a lost world, being light in darkness... This applies to you. As the Father sent Jesus, so has he sent you. He has sent you in the same way. But of course, there's the technical term. It's called anthropomorphism. Anthro meaning human, morphism meaning change. We begin to see God in the way that we would, as if he were human. We anthropomorphize. We begin to change God. Oh, if he, if he were a human, it would be like this. So if he's being sent by the all-powerful, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, he must be sent in the same power. But that's not how Jesus was sent. I was, uh, a number of years ago, uh, I had gone to be, I was doing this great event. Um, this was probably, I don't know, six years ago or so when the refugee crisis, it's still a problem in Europe, it's still a crisis, but at this time it was much heavier, many more refugees coming into Europe than uh, at present. And YWAM had organized, this particular group of YWAM bases that had organized an outreach in Athens, and they invited me to come for a few days and share, and it was awesome. You could stand up on a park bench and yell out, peanut butter, and four people would come to Jesus. It was just like God was moving. It was so great. And they, uh, they said, okay, we're going to go to this, this kind of camp they called it what it was is actually an an abandoned school so a couple of buildings that um that was not getting any food aid from the un because they were funded by a political party specifically the pkk which is a kurdish communist party is an outlawed terrorist group according to some uh because of terrorism Uh, (laughs) And so the PKK was funding it so the UN wouldn't give them any money. So they said, okay, so Wyom's going to go give a bunch of food, which is awesome. So we load up these vans with food and young people, and we're driving. I'm in the front seat. and They said, okay, we're going to get there, and we're going to do a skit. And uh, I love God, but that's a bit much. And so I was like, I was like I'm happy to do maybe something else. Uh, I just didn't want to do that. And um, they said, okay, we'll do the skit. You go knock door to door and invite everyone down for the skit and the presentation. And so I did it, and so we're, we're in this hallway, but there's no electricity, it's dark, it's this old, like, communist-era building, it's just cement, and we're just knocking on the doors, and it's, like, a little bit intimidating. And I'm knocking, no one's coming, and I'm kind of, like, grateful, and, uh, and so then I get to the end of this hallway, and I knock on the door, and I turn around, and someone had, like, come in, into the hallway with me, and I turn around, and I'm shocked, he's this big, huge Kurdish guy, and he goes, come with me. And I was like, I don't want to. And... Uh, and so then he opens this door that I had knocked on that was locked. And he opens it, and he says, go. And I was like, I, I didn't want to go at all, and I just wanted to leave. And so we go in, and I see uh, all these pictures on the wall of these soldiers. I find out later they were martyrs, Kurdish fighters that had been killed in battle. And then I'm sitting under this picture. I have a picture of it on my phone, under these uh, big, huge pictures of Stalin and Lenin and Engels and everything. It was, I was in the PKK party office in Athens. And so then they bring in about 15 or 20 guys, and we sit in this circle, uh, all these party leaders, and it's me and this other Wyomer, and uh, he was older than me, so I was like, thank God, he's gonna, he, he'll be the one that talks. And then he said, you share, and I didn't want to do that either. And, uh, and so I said, okay, so I started to share about the Lord, and I don't speak Kurdish, so this guy was translating for me. I began to talk about Jesus, and right away, this party leader interrupts me. And he goes, shame on you. Shame on you for bringing your white religion and your white Jesus to us, an oppressed people. He said, you don't know anything about our struggle. You don't know anything about what we go through, how we have to fight to survive, fight for our culture and our language. You don't know anything, and you come here filled with presumption and a foreign religion thinking you'll help us. Shame on you. In that moment, I could only say what happened was just inspired by the holy spirit something i'd never thought of in this way before and immediately these words come out just like jesus said would happen when you're in front of rulers don't be worried because the holy spirit will give you words in that moment and right away these words come out of my mouth and i said sir i'm with all due respect you have no idea what you're talking about i said jesus was not a white european he was a palestinian He was born into an oppressive and under an oppressive government that tried to suppress his language and his religion, tried to kill his entire generation of young men so they could not propagate the country and instead be ruled by the ruling powers. He grew up underneath military reign, understanding what it was like to have an occupying army in his cities and in his villages. And if you really wanted hope for the Kurdish people, the only thing for you from a... Just... In that moment, the Holy Spirit speaks, I think, through me and speaks to this man's heart. And he actually says, he pulls out his phone out of his pocket, and he goes, can I get an or an, an a, a New Testament, and read it on my phone? He said, I don't know that Jesus that you talked about. As the Father sends me so i am sending you the deliverer even from these political crises like we see if the kurdish people if you don't know kurdish people are 25 percent of the nation of turkey they also live in iraq and syria but they're the largest ethnic group without their own country but you see this idea that jesus identifies with them that jesus identified with the oppressed he identified with the marginalized he identified with those who did not have power so that he could deliver them into the hope of life of salvation. My wife sent me a message this morning. She said, keep it simple. And so I'm gonna quote Athanasius. Uh, Athanasius was a church father. He said, what is not embodied, he's a second century church father, which means one of the first guys that began to write about Christian doctrine. He said, what's not embodied I'll explain it, is not redeemed. But what he meant is what Jesus did not take in in himself, he had to take in everything that needed to be redeemed in humanity. I share that story because it's such a picture. When we think about Jesus going in the power and the might of God, then we begin to distort how God is sending us if we don't see how he actually went meek and lowly. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, for I am meek and lowly, and I will give you rest. You know what meekness is? Meekness, the word picture for meekness, is like a a stallion, a great strong horse that though it's stronger than the one who rides it, it allows itself to be bridled and ridden. That's the idea of meekness. Jesus says about himself, come to me for I am meek and lowly. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, meek and lowly. Okay, so here's where this is where I'm, I told you I was gonna do some greatest hits. Turn with me to John 13. That's what I felt to talk about today in this first session, the second session. We'll see where we go. John 13, starting verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Another translation says that the Father had put all things in his hands. And that he had come from God And was returning to God. Jesus, knowing that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God, what would you do if you realized that you were that powerful? What would you do if you realized that you were that powerful? There is this great, um, this power. I love it. We're in the wrong place, people. We, we should be there. On the earth, what is it similarly that the Holy Spirit has put in your life? What power is in your hands? That when Jesus says to you, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. Because once we identify what's in our hands, we can probably assume and most clearly identify what it is that God is calling us to take to the cross. That's why I wanted to bring... The cross over here this morning, but we can all see it from where we are, there, it is not a coincidence or a happenstance or merely an unintentional doing of history that the cross itself is the symbol of our faith. The symbol of our faith. If you were to say, Christian, what comes to your mind in places around the world that understand Christianity, if you were to ask them for a symbol, almost everyone would draw a cross. The cross being the very symbol of self-sacrifice. That at the center, the image of our faith, the center, the crux, uh, coming even from the Latin of where it crosses, the cross, the crux of our faith is this idea that to truly live a Christian life is a life of self-giving love. as the father has sent me so am i sending you jesus having loved those the father had given him he loved them until the end jesus knowing that he the father had put all things in his hands he had come from God and was returning to God. He rose from the table, tied an apron around his waist and began to wash the disciples' feet. Then he has this discourse, I won't read it, where Peter says, no, Lord, you can't. And Jesus says, I must wash you. And then he says, he says let me wash your hands and your feet. And Peter says, no, my whole body. And Jesus said, don't get weird, Peter. And then they move on and Jesus stands up after he's washed everyone's feet. And he says, no student is greater than the teacher. No servant is greater than his master as I have done, you go and do also. As the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. Jesus says, if you wanna follow me, pick up your cross. I just had this, I was in New York a couple of weeks ago speaking at this church and uh, met this great guy, become a friend. That runs a ministry on online ministry, and uh, we had this wonderful conversation about the cross being the answer to all things in the Christian life. He challenged me a little bit. This guy was with uh, Theos U, if you're familiar with that, and he challenged me a little bit. I, I was, we were working through this for a couple of hours, talking about this idea of the cross being the answer for all things in the Christian life. But I thought you can't just run to the cross for every problem, right? If I have, if I have a problem of uh, overwhelming anxiety, I can't just say oh, I just nailed it to the cross. My wife is from Texas, and that's what they t- talk like. Uh, is anyone from Texas here? Whoa. That's like a foreign country to me. Uh, and and there, there's this idea, oftentimes in cultural Christianity, of just like, oh, just give it, just put it on the cross, baby. Just give it to Jesus. And, you know, and it doesn't solve anything. You're like, I have this problem, and I'm going to give it to Jesus, put it on the cross. Now, there's certain things you do need to give to the cross. I have, you have a problem with sin or addiction in your past. Yes, give it to the cross. Let the blood of Jesus wash it away. don't have to live in shame or condemnation. Yes, put that on the cross. What about these other problems? Well, if you think about the cross as just the redemption of, or, or the forgiveness of sins, then you're limited. But Isaiah Isaiah says in in chapter 53, it is is by these stripes we are healed. And so we go to the cross for our healing. We go to the cross for our deliverance. We go to the cross for our forgiveness. The the center of our faith is the cross. It is this picture of self-giving love. But it is an immature faith if it stops at receiving. It is the immature believer that says, yes, my life is centered at the cross where I receive the love of Jesus, but I do not reflect it in the world around me. How do I reflect the love of Jesus in the world around me? As the Father has sent me, so am I sending you, self-giving love. I told you about that young man I had that dream of, and I began to disciple him as the first, that sounds like, a, I don't like that term, because it sounds like I have some position of power. I didn't. We. I just knew more about Jesus than he did, because he had just come to faith, and so we were walking together and I, we were learning together tremendously just about different things. He was learning about the gospel for the first time and I was learning about what it was like to follow Jesus in a hostile environment for the first time. And within about six weeks, he was in prison and uh, not by the police, by these uh, 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 radical Islamists that had been hired by his family to try to forcibly what's the, when you reconvert, there's a term for it, uh, to bring him back from his apostasy back to Islam. So he was imprisoned. They had then sent threats to me via a messenger, and then the secret police get involved, now the secret police are outside my door following me everywhere I go. I'm like 21. I'm learning Arabic, and uh, at that time... All it was Ramadan, I remember, which is the fasting month for Muslims, and it's hot. It was in the summer, and uh, all of YOM except for one guy had left in the country, so it was just me alone. And the national leader would—they were in America—and they would just call me. They said, "Okay, I'll call you at the same time every day, just because if you don't answer, then we'll know that you've gone missing." And I thought well, it's comforting. Hallelujah. <laughs> and I was really not certain at all what to do. I mean, there's they didn't talk about that in my DTS maybe your DTS covers it mine doesn't uh, how to how to walk with people through extreme persecution all of a sudden and so I had uh, called this pastor a uh, local pastor that was a bit older and very experienced and had a lot of ministry amongst Muslims that had come to jesus and just to see if he could help and he was wonderful and uh, really helpful and at the end of this time and he was he's kind of a well-known guy, so it was really nice of him just to take a meeting with this 20-year-old, 21-year-old kid he didn't know. And uh, at the end of the meeting, I'm leaving his office. He says, listen, I want to tell you one thing. He said, you, He said, I'm so grateful for the Western missionaries that come and serve our country. He said, we need you. He was really honoring and welcoming. I felt really humbled by that. And he goes, I, I want to say something as an, as an uncle in the faith. He goes, you come often from the West with ideas of how to build a structure and a business. He said, but in the New Testament, God always talks about his people as a family. And so he said this, he said, I want to give you this advice. When you find yourself in a position, in a situation where you don't know what to do, ask yourself this question, what would I do if this were my actual brother? profound for me and then I'm a few days later I'm at home I remember I was doing my laundry I was folding it and my phone rings and I answer it and uh, sorry rather I felt prompted to call my friend and I call him and he answers and but he's like whispering hello say are you okay no uh where are you no answer are you at your house yes are you alone no and I said, who's there? He doesn't, he's not giving me anything other than short yes or no questions. I, and I don't know why I asked. I said, do they have guns? He said, yes. And I was like filled with regret that I asked that question. I wish I'd gone in blind. And, and then he hangs up. And I thought, what do you do? But then I thought of what this pastor said. What would you do if it were your actual, your actual brother? So I like get my stuff and I... <laughs> Like I gotta go save him, and then I like run out of the house, and, but I don't have a car, so I'm just like it's really melodramatic. I'm just waiting for a taxi. <laughs> <laughs> this Taxi comes and rushes to his house. I'll pop, 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 pound on the door. Pop, 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 pop pound on the door, and suddenly this, this door opens and it's someone I don't know. He lives in a small apartment by himself, and actually it was in a basement, which made it even more creepy. And this, and I said, "Where's my friend I said, Where's Ahmed?" I said, "Where's Ahmed?" He goes, "Who are you?" I said, who are you? He said, who are you? I said, who are you? And I, he was small, so I pushed him out of the way. <laughs> and then I went in, and I, then I would just, again, just regret. I thought, why am I here? <laughs> My heart's just racing. And then Ahmed comes out. He was in the bathroom. Again, the, the melodramatic, just up and down, the whole story. And uh, he says, what are you doing here? And I said, we're in this together. And we had this wonderful moment that the people, Ahmed spoke English, but the, the people that were with him were part of the secret police, and they had come, and uh, they had said, we're here to, uh, it was kind of this weird thing, they were like, um, we're here to protect you from the radical Islamists, and uh, we're going to keep you under guard 24 hours in your apartment until you return to Islam. <laughs> oh, it's an interesting approach. This, uh, you ha- he has a plan and a purpose for you. He does, he really does. I was speaking, I had the privilege, I was invited to speak at this conference in Jerusalem. And the other speaker at this conference was a man called Andrew Brunson. And I don't imagine many would recognize that name. Andrew Brunson was a pastor in Izmir, Turkey. And in uh, 2016, I believe, in the summer of 2016, was put in prison by Erdogan, the president of Turkey, for 18 months. And they had given him a sentence of 28 years. But he was in prison for 18 months, falsely accused of all sorts of things. And uh, it led to the actual economic crisis that Turkey is experiencing today. In the Turkish newspapers, it's called the Brunson crisis after this guy, because Trump made all these embargoes, and then they finally let Brunson out. And I had the privilege of talking with him. We're having coffee in the afternoons. And, uh, and he said this thing that blew my mind. He said, you know, I, he was telling me about his time in prison, and how lonely it was, and all these different things. And he said, "I thought I was going crazy, and I knew that there was a chance I could lose my mind, and I would lose my mind for God." And that was like extremely confronting for me, because I thought, "No, there's no way you could you would lose your mind for God." And then he began to give me these, a book that I was familiar with by a man called Richard Wurmbrand of all of these dissidents in the communist era in the 1960s and 70s, these pastors in Eastern Europe and in Russia who had been put in prison for their faith and all gone mad, gone, had lost their minds because of the persecution and the suffering. And I thought about Jesus showing his wounds and saying, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. Now, uh, this is fun and lighthearted, isn't it? But it's important because you could have a wonderful experience here on the Hawaiian islands with these wonderful friends that you're making and everything is good and everything is great and I had no money but God provided everything and rah 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 and then you say in that time God spoke to me and I went and I did this thing maybe you moved to another country to be a witness of the gospel there. Maybe God sent you back to your home city to be a witness there. And then suddenly you are brought to a moment where self giving love is required. And self giving love means it has a, generally a tremendous amount of personal, at least pain and discomfort, if not at times harm. And then you say, Where is God? Where is God? He's sending you. He's He's with you. He, he's given you His Spirit. Lo, I am with you always. The question is not where is God? It is where is the depth of your faith? Is your faith so shallow that you sign up for self giving love when there's hundreds of people with you saying, I'll do it as well? But then when you get into that moment of actual self giving that you say, I'm not sure if this is the God I wanted to love. No servant is greater than his master. No student greater than his teacher. And the symbol of our faith is the cross. God is sending us into all the world. Luke says it in Acts 1, Judea, Samaria. Judea was the area around Jerusalem where they were. Samaria was the outer areas where some of the Gentiles lived, and then the rest of the world. So it was this geographic sequence of first close, and then a little bit far, and then to the ends of the earth. Jesus is sending us, some of us to our home cities, some of us to other places in our home countries, some of us to foreign lands not in great positions of power and victory ultimately the victory will be the lords but he is sending us as the father sent jesus meek and lowly with the call of self sacrifice i have to smile when i give this talk cuz it always feels like we going down how do we pull up from here i don't know if we do I don't know if we do, because I could take you to churches all around where I live, and I could sit you in front of people your age, younger or older, it is how their formative experience and their love and depth of love for Jesus was not on a beautiful island surrounded by friends, but in an isolated bedroom amongst a hostile family where they had to hide their Bible under their mattress and pray each day that their brothers didn't find it. I could tell you stories of 18-year-olds who, when his father found out that he had become a believer, he said, I won't kill you as long as you leave the country and I never see you again. I could tell you stories for days. And now, praise the Lord, most of us, I, I don't know everyone in this room, so I won't say all of us, but most of us have not experienced that. Persecution is awful. It's an awful thing, and I would wish it on no one. And yet, self-giving love is the example our Lord gave us. Love for Him, of course. That's where it starts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Lord, I'll do anything for you. I'll go anywhere for you, whatever you ask. And then, love your neighbor as yourself. And now, The commentators on that element about love your neighbors as yourself, it's not this idea of like self-love. I just want to, I like, I have to take care of myself and then I will love others. What it means is like yourself, uh, it doesn't translate in English, Um, like your people, love as if your family. Love your neighbors as they're your own, as if it was your mom and your dad and your brother and your sister and your best friend. That's what the idea is. Love your neighbor like the world is your people. You and I have been called by the Lord we love to live like him in self-sacrifice. Now, on this happy note, uh, I'd like you to turn to a neighbor or however many people you like. But I want you to share two thoughts that are stirring in your heart as you hear me talk about this. If you're an introvert like me, you can go last. So... Uh, be a little self-sacrificial as the extrovert to go first. Turn to a neighbor, turn to a group, share two thoughts that are stirring in your heart. This isn't the most responsive message. It should be a reflective one. My idea this morning is that you would leave and have these words ringing in your ears as the Father sent me, so I am sending you, and you would carry on thinking about this, hopefully for weeks, if not longer, thinking, what does that mean about my life? What does that mean for my family? As the Father sent me, so I am sending you to your mom. So I'm sending you to your dad. So I'm sending you to the siblings that you have animosity with. You know, what is the, that's the thought. As, as the Father sending me, so I'm sending you to the nations that God has put on your heart, to the people, to the causes, those sorts of things. Uh, one of the... Mini- I, I meant to talk about what we do in Dubai. I'll just take a little pause and share about that and then uh, jump in. But we, Zane had said I lead our FNF community, which is partially true. We have a partial FNF community. I I work and I lead uh, YWAM in our location and then I work with YWAM across the Arab Gulf states. Not all of them are fine, very good. Some people are. Dubai, we have three primary areas. We run training schools, we run DTSs, we run a um, Bible school that I can never remember what the letters stand for but it is a three-month Bible school. And then we run a SOFM, School of Freaking Missions. uh, Every April, (laughs) it's the best one. If God's calling you long-term to serve among Muslims, Uh, is great. A better option is come to Dubai and and learn uh, in a Muslim context with us every April. So if you wanna know more about that, uh, I can tell you later, send you an application. So we do training, we run, we have church planning work amongst Muslim people uh, to share Jesus for the first time, start study groups, reading the Bible, reading the gospel with them that eventually turn into churches. That's one of our primary works. And then the third one is um, we work in mercy ministries, which has the last few years mostly looked like working with uh, women victims who have fallen victim to human trafficking, mostly in the sex industry, and helping repatriate them. They're all foreign women that have been brought in, helping repatriate them to their home countries. So this is what brought this into my mind as I was sharing about this. We had no intention, uh, and I had felt no previous call to that cause or that ministry. And it was in COVID. Uh, COVID lasted like three weeks where we live, which was awesome. And then they just realized it wasn't great for the economy, so they acted like it wasn't there, which it sort of it, that went good for my own inclinations. So I didn't mind. But in the time, they had locked down completely for three weeks. You couldn't leave your house. You had to have a permit to go to the grocery store. Uh, and in that time, a lot of the people that were living on the margins that were the poorest in the country were really in a, in a bad position. And um, through a series of events, we get a phone call from the Nigerian embassy, we being my wife and I. And the Nigerian embassy uh, said, can you help us? We have these women that have left these brothels and they were going to help them get their paperwork, but we need places for them to stay. And there was one young girl in particular, she was just a teenager uh, that was living literally in the broom closet in the embassy. And they said, can you help her at all? And we just had a two small two room apartment. And, uh, and so we said, yes. And so they brought her over and she lived with us. And uh, it was, It was extremely enlightening and eye-opening for my wife and I to see this great need that we were previously unaware of and has now led to an ongoing ministry. We do weekly outreaches into brothels and are in the process now of opening up a long-term shelter for these women. We had a property we were supposed to move in in April and some things happened, so we're now trying to rent a different one. So it's led to this great ministry, but it it was in the context of inviting a a young woman into our home, small home, where we had... She, she spoke uh, p- pidgin English in Nigeria, in Nigeria the, the, the English dialect there, which is very uncommon from the English that we spoke. We had a hard time understanding each other. She came with um, all sorts of... You can imagine the hygiene problems someone would have coming from that setting. And it, it, I'm not trying to paint a picture other than saying it came with much difficulty for all of us not just like woe is me it was difficult for her she was she told us she was so funny we we're still in touch this. she was like man this is she was i wish the people could see where i'm living right now and who i'm living with because it's just so different and we were just all sorts of struggle for a number of weeks and praise the lord god got her all the documents she needed we got her home and safe and connected with some believers there but it, in the in the time in which God was aw- making us aware of this need, and then eventually come to find out birthing this ministry, it was also saying, this will cost you, because people were looking for her. Uh, certain, um, I'm trying to think of the appropriate words, uh, certain hygienic issues were brought into our home that uh, that caused all of us to have certain hygiene problems as you would expect when you've been living in a brothel, because we're living in such small quarters, that we begin to share each other's burdens. But that's the cross, isn't it? self-giving love. And there will be moments for all of us where um, Mother Teresa calls it a call within a call. Mother Teresa had joined... Um, had had given her vows as a nun. She was called Angeze. She's Albanian by birth. And uh, when she was called Angeze, that was her birth name, she then entered into a monastery, moved to Ireland from Albania. She was like 21 years old, said goodbye to her family at a train station, and uh, never saw her mother or her sister alive again served the Lord in a convent in Ireland and felt called to India. She had grown up reading stories about William Carey and other missionaries that were serving in West Bengal in India and had requested permission and got permission by her superiors and moves to West Bengal, India. Has taken her vows and uh, is now known as Sister Teresa, Teresa, and was serving in this convent. I think they had a children's school is all it was. And she was on a train one day. She had been a nun at this point for 28 years. Is on a train from West Bengal to Darjeeling, which is in the northeast of India. And halfway on the train ride, she feels the Holy Spirit speak to her and say, Leave the convent and everything you have known for these 20 years and move and serve among the poor in West Bengal, in Calcutta specifically. And she got off the train at the next stop, changed platforms in reverse directions back to her convent, met with her superiors. They started a journey that lasted for 12 months to get permission to leave the convent and start a new ministry where she rented an old Hindu temple and turned it into what would become the first of a number of many of the homes for the dead and the dying eventually starting what we know as the Sisters of Charity and eventually becoming who we know as one of the foremost Christians of the 20th century, Mother Teresa. But she always spoke of it in the way she phrased it like this. She she said that moment for her was her call within a call. She had first been called to Christ, and then in that moment, after years of service, was called by Christ to serve a certain people. And what I'm talking to you today is, uh, is about this call within a call. So all of us in this room, I hope, have been called to Christ. We've been called uh, by his great and overwhelming love and received his love and received the power of his spirit that heals us and cleanses us of our sins and gives us a supernatural love for the people around us. We've been called to Christ. But there is a call within that call. And that call is a call by Christ, where he says to you, go, therefore, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you in self-sacrificial, self-giving love. And you might say, how, Lord, how do I do it? And he says here in John 13, no servant is greater than his master, no student greater than his teacher. As I have done for you, you do also. In the call, within a call, is centered the example of the life of Christ. Let's read more about that example. Jesus, after saying all of these things, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. That's verse 16. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And then in verse 21, after Jesus said this, he was troubled in his spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Now, leaning back against Jesus, I just love that thought, just John being that close, just lean back. And he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus said, it is the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. The host of the dinner and the honored guest each take an eyeball, and they bite into the eyeball in front of everyone to show that that's the guest of honor. And uh, it is in those moments that I have been so glad that I have been without honor. Uh, but this night was different. It was, a, it was a dinner for a beloved friend. And it was a small gathering, and different people are, are there. And at one point, the, the person, the man that had called the dinner, stands up. And of course, in typical Middle Eastern tradition, it's one large dish, typically rice with meat on top and baskets of flatbread around. And each person is just breaking bread out of the basket and dipping into the communal dish. And eating this way, and at one point the host of the dinner stands or imagine not in this story I'm telling, but imagine this for Jesus. they're at a low, a low table, sitting on the ground on cushions. And where I'm at at this dinner, the host stands up, breaks a piece of bread, reaches into the meat dish at the center of the table, and in front of all those gathered, takes the bread and meat that is in his hand and feeds the beloved friend that had been away as a sign of affection and love, a public demonstration for everyone that was gathered at the dinner. And so when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, and John says, it's the, who is it? And Jesus' answer is, it's the one to whom I dip the bread in the dish. And Jesus then dips, stands at this low table, probably leans across, and then leans over to Judas and feeds Judas from Jesus' hand into his mouth. The impression to all of the disciples gathered is one of you will betray me, but certainly it's not Judas. Because Judas is the one I love the most. That was the demonstration Jesus gave. Remember how John 13 starts Jesus, having loved the Father, loved the ones the Father had given him, he loved them until the end. Self-giving love. That until the very end, the one that would ultimately betray him, the one that would ultimately bring his executioners to his capture, Jesus' last public declaration about his betrayer, about his, one might say, murderer, was, Judas, you were always my favorite. Self-giving love. As the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. But this is a hard message in a culture like this one that I stand in today, where we have shelves of books. I was at the bookstore in the airport in LAX yesterday, all these self-help books talking about boundaries, healthy boundaries, limits, all these different things. I'm here to love, but I just have to have some boundaries. Let's have boundaries like Jesus had. Where were those? Well, he just had boundaries like for people that weren't safe. Let's talk about the safety of Judas, shall we? (laughs) Where was his safety? He loved them till the end. Judas, though you will kill me, here's my boundary. You're my favorite. Here's my boundary. I will never close my heart to you. Christ-like boundaries were not boundaries on people. They were boundaries on himself. His boundary was, I will never close my heart, no matter what you do to me. As the Father has sent me, open-hearted, loving those who who he gave me, loving them to the end, even when the end was the worst moment of those people's lives. What do I mean by that? The worst moment for Judas is when he betrays the Christ. The worst moment for Peter when he denies publicly Jesus in front of the courts that were trying him. The worst moment for John when he runs away from his capture naked from the garden. The worst moment for the other nine disciples, each of them absent at Jesus' most desperate and lonely moments. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Wholehearted love to the very end. No servant is greater than his master. No student is greater than his teacher. And so, for you and for I, God is calling us, He is sending us. First, He's calling us, He's called us to Him. Now he is speaking to us, a call by him, a call within a call. And he's sending us, as the Father sent him, to a broken world and to love wholeheartedly. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. How did the Father send Jesus to die? But of course, there's no safer place than the will of God. And he is good all the time. And if if it's in your heart, it's because Papa Sky Daddy God put it there. And so he has called you to self-giving love which looks like a part-time job at Starbucks and some handicrafts on Etsy (laughs) so that you can live your best life. And then you don't have to know Christ like Paul asked to know him in Philippians 3, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Some in this room will walk away with this message today, but not all. This is like 2.0. If you really want to know Jesus, then you must fellowship in his sufferings. In fact, church history and uh, particularly the Orthodox Church would stand behind me and saying, the only way to know Jesus is to have fellowship in his sufferings, is to pick up your cross daily and follow him, is to center your life around the cross in self-giving love, a couple, uh, when was it? I guess it was last year. We graduated our DTS. I heard Sarah was here. Is that right? What? Oh, not she's not in this room. Oh, shame. One of the uh, girls that was in the DTS is here. But we graduated it. it rather than flying everyone back to Dubai, we graduated it in, uh, in Egypt. We had some visa complications. So I flew to be with them the last week. We were also short a lecture week because of visa stuff. So I, we went to lecture, and we were in Wadi Natrun in the middle of Egypt, and Wadi Natrun has these old uh, 3rd and 4th century monasteries. And I'm like a little bit of a uh, church history geek, so I was like having a great time. And I said, well, let's... So the theme of the week was abiding in Christ. That was my teaching theme. And so I said, we're, we'll go to a monastery on one of the days, and I'll have one of the, one of the abunas, one of the monks, talk to us about abiding in Christ. And so we went to this, it was started by the disciple of St. Anthony himself, who was, anyway, I'll tell you, if you're interested, we can talk later, we'll have a great time. But uh, this old monastery that had been there for 1,600 years with monks praying day and night, you know, it was just incredible. And I, we, I, we get this old Abuna, and I said, okay, talk to us about abiding in Christ. He's like in his 70s, and he goes, oh, <laughs> and he goes. I'm laughing because what he says. He said, every morning I wake up and I allow two hours for the Spirit to search my heart before I take the communion. Which I was like, I thought, first of all, that's amazing. Second of all, what is he searching? Like you're around the same 20 people for 40 years. Like, like what do you have no life? What, like what, what is there to search in you for two hours every day? But then he goes on to talk about the the center of his life, and the the center of the monastic tradition that he was in was around the Eucharist, which is the word for communion. This idea of of the reflection upon and then the reflecting in the world Jesus' sacrificial love. And he said, Before I take it each morning, which is the culmination of his morning devotions, he's there's two hours to search my heart to say, Lord, Where am I not living in the self-giving love you've called me to? Oh, man, we were a wreck. Oh, it was amazing. He prays for us. It was amazing. How different from many of our faith traditions that we might come from. Maybe the center of your Christian devotions are just, I just got to make sure I got to read the word every day. As long as I just hear a couple of verses, just play it. And when I'm in the bathroom in the morning, just play it on my audio, whatever on the phone. And then I just have the word in me. But this deep reflection of, am I actually living a self-giving love to the world around me? Or am I filled with excuses where I am called to love, but I don't? where I'm called to love those around me, and I don't love them, but I give myself reasons of why it's okay that I don't. Of course we don't admit, or in America, because everyone's really direct in communication here, it's like, no, I, it's because I already told them, I already told them that this is what I prefer, this is like how I live, and they're not respecting that. And then, The silent part is, and so then that's my reason to close my heart. They're not very safe. They really, they like, they trigger me. And so because they trigger me, I close my heart. That's what, that's if you've been to a university, that's what they teach you. Uh, That's the exact opposite of the teachings of Christ. You want to get triggered? Come, (laughs) come with me, spend a couple days with me. I'll trigger you, but then I'll, the people that we work with will trigger you even more. Every trauma, every, everything, you'll get triggered in a lost and broken world. And if your limitations are your triggers, you will not live a life of self-giving love. And no servant is greater than his master. But how often have we, as the people of God, lived as if we're greater than the God we serve? So as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. What week is this in your DTS? Five. Okay, so this, we're still early in the quarter for the DTS, for those of you in other schools and tracks. As I was praying, this, I, I was thinking about Mother Teresa. In this moment, she called her call within a call. And the sense I have is that that is what God will do for many of you, is that you have answered his call to him. But there is a call by him, an invitation, a call, an assignment, however you want to phrase it, to love a part of this broken world like he loves But you cannot do it if you don't embrace being sent like he was sent. And being sent like he was sent is being sent meek and lowly, powerless, marginalized, poor, at times subject to harm and violence, All of those things you can think of about the life of Christ. That is the nature of being sent by God. And I tell you this now because Jesus said, uh, he said, he tells this parable, imagine a man who began to build a tower in his field but did not count his money before he began and had to stop halfway through with the tower unbuilt. Imagine the shame he would feel before his neighbors. That was the parable Jesus tells And he says, so count the cost before you begin. And that's what I'm here to tell you today. The call within a call, being sent as Jesus was sent, has a cost. And the cost is you. It's your life. It is the things that are in your hands. The cost is whatever is needed to love wholeheartedly those who God sends you to. And consider the cost. Count it now before you begin, so that you don't get embarrassed later when you realize, I didn't know it was gonna cost me that. But here's the best thing about Jesus. When we get, uh, there's actually quite a number of best things about Jesus, so don't hold me to that. When you get to these moments that are like a little hard, Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And you stop and you think about it, you say, whoa, I don't want to be sent like that. I'd like to be sent a little differently. And, and we almost get hung up on it. But then Jesus goes on to show us a little bit more about who he is. And the next story in John chapter 20 is, is about Judas. And Judas was the disciple, or sorry, not Judas, I'm, I mean Thomas. Thomas was the disciple that we call the doubter, which I is, think is a horrible moniker for him. He, it's not exactly right. He was the one who, who had some critical thoughts. He said, I don't, he said, I saw him dead. How can I know he's alive? because he was the one that wasn't in the room. And he gets called the doubter for that. And then Jesus walks through the walls. He breathes on them. He says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And he says, Thomas, come here. Because Thomas had said previously, he said, unless I see with my eyes and feel with my hands, I cannot believe. And Jesus says to Thomas alone, he says, Thomas, come here. Put your hands in my hand. You cannot touch me until I've been glorified. Except for the one that we call the doubter. That one is the only one that got to intimately touch Jesus. What a reflection of who he is. That he says, As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. But listen, I am filled with grace. I have so much room for your questions and your doubts, and your hardship, and your pain. I have found myself in my life embarrassed at my own weakness. When certain hardships have come, and threats, or different things, circumstances, and I have, where I thought I was one thing, realized I was something else. And I have been embarrassed. Lord, I thought I loved you. And I realize I don't love you like I thought I did. It's similar to Peter, right? Peter thought he was really something. Peter was the one, the, the, after Andrew at the beginning, but after some years of walking with Jesus, Peter was the one where he's, Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the, the Christ, the son of the, of, of the God Almighty. And Jesus says, it's, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And so Peter thought he was really something. And then Jesus says, Peter, your name is Cephas, which means rock, for on you I will build my church. So Peter's thinking, wow, gosh, no one else is getting all this stuff. And then Peter also gets told, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter says, never, I would never, I would die before I deny you. And then certainly he does as Jesus says, and Peter's confronted with realizing who he really is. And then Jesus, this is the last part of the book of John, chapter 21. They're fishing on the sea, and they, say, they see Jesus on the seashore cooking some fish. And Peter dives into the water, swims to shore, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, feed my sheep. And he's brought back in to love Jesus. Why do I share that? Because I, I want to say, this is a hard message. As the Father sends me, so I'm sending you. But it is in the context of that wrapped in the Trinity love of God. In our weakness, you, we will all find times where we think, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can love, if I can be sent as Jesus was sent. And I just want to say, that is when we return to the love of Jesus. Jesus. And how was Jesus sent by the Father? With the power of the Spirit. And Jesus is sending you with the power and the intimacy of his Spirit to see you through the situations that you don't think you could get through on your own. Let's just take a moment. Would you just, I know the Ohana court, there's lots of movement and noise and all those things, but just where you are, just center your heart and your thoughts on Christ. Just whatever that looks like for you, if it's a deep breath or it's a silent prayer, just center your thoughts on him, your heart on him. I'm going to pray this, and then I want us to listen. Holy Spirit, where you have been calling us within the call already to people and to places, and we have not understood fully what that call is, would you highlight it and clarify it in our hearts right now? Lord, where you have been expanding our hearts in love because you're preparing us to be sent as you were sent, would you highlight those areas to us now that we could hear what it is you're calling us to? We'll just take a moment and and wait on him as God speaks to you now. All right, wrap up your thoughts. I think we've uh, maxed our capacity for lecture content this morning. I'm glad that you sounded like had some good reflections to share with one another. So we'll do a little recap and then uh, I think Zane will have a little response time. Here's the recap. Great commission. Go into all the world. Baptize, disciple, go empower. Here's the point that we're focusing on this morning. As the Father sent me, so am I sending you. As the Father sent Jesus, so is the Father sending you. Sending you to love those the Father has given you, And love them to the very end, to look at your hand and to see what power is there, to see what things God has given you, what positions of power you hold, what elements of strength there are in your life, and to set them down and instead pick up an apron and to wash the feet of those who Jesus has called you to. As the Father has sent me, so is he sending you. As the Father sent Jesus, so is he sending you. There is a call within the call. There's the call to Christ, and then there is, for many of us, a call by Christ. And in that call by Christ is where we are confronted with the need to live, not only the need, but really the only way to live in self-giving love. And self-giving love looks like the cross being the center of all we do. It's turning to the cross where we need the healing of Jesus, where we need the forgiveness of Jesus, where we need the love and the strength of Jesus, and where we need the reminder of what it is that we have responded to, the call within the call. And that being sent by the Father, like Jesus was sent, is to be sent and to fight for an open heart, always an open heart. Even with those who will hurt you, will persecute you, will lie to you, will cheat you, who are not safe, who are triggering, who are all of the things we're told to be careful of and protect ourselves from, that Jesus is saying, make those ones your favorites. Not just the ones you put up with, but the ones where you declare publicly in such a way that no one would know what they're really like, like Jesus did for Judas. And so I hope that as we walk away from this morning, I think as you see a cross, if you wear a cross, probably in a room like this, maybe some of you have a tattoo of a cross, as you look at it, you would see it differently. Not as merely the sign of your personal salvation, but as a reminder of the call on your life to live the example of the cross in self-giving love. If there weren't so many of you, I'd hand out crosses to each of you so you'd remember today, but instead you could draw one on your hand or whatever. Yeah, there it is. And remember that the cross is... A reminder of how you're supposed to live. Self-giving love. That you are called to live like Jesus because you have been sent like Jesus. Not in power and in might, but meek and lowly. And imagine with me as I end what the world would look like If wave after wave of young people swept across the shores of the nations, meek and lowly, like Jesus, hands emptied of their own power and the power of this world, but wrapped around themselves with aprons, going to serve the nations, going to serve the broken and the lonely going to love wholehearted, open-hearted those who are the hardest to love. Imagine what the world would look like. It would be amazing. Well, friends, that's you and I, isn't it? It's you and I that have been sent. As the Father sent Jesus, he sent you and I to live in self-giving love with open hearts amen zane thank you so much for listening for more on missions stay right here on the fire and fragrance podcast